You sound great. Mike, so. No, no, no. You sound awesome as always. I mean, it's always so funny when you talk to fellow podcasters, right? With sound, it's like, do I look good? Do I sound good? As opposed to others that are like, yeah, I'm on another Zoom call. If you yeah. can hear me, that's great. Good luck. You know, <laughs> am I appearing as like myself as opposed to looking like a cat or what have you? <laughs> oh, looking like a cat. Oh, my favorite. I'm, uh, I'm not a cat. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think we know that, Bill. I mean, I mean, that's like probably one of my all-time favorites. I think that probably made my year last year. Uh, but hey, now that we know that the mic is listening, are you ready to kick this off with me, Megan? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. The mic is listening. 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 Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Mike is Listening show. I am Sia, the illustrious host. At, I don't know. I just kind of make things up as I go along sometimes. And other times, I have to actually read and think. And this is going to be one of those shows, folks, where I am so pleased to welcome Megan Jacko with the ATGO at Go AI podcast, a.k.a. also known as Accountability, Trust, Governance, and Oversight of artificial intelligence. Mouthful, but Megan, you are a rock star. Welcome to the Mike is Listening show. Thank you, Sia. I'm so happy to be here and share with you about some of my work with Atco AI and for humanity. Okay, can I just tell you? So, I, um, you know, we were mentioning this earlier, and I want to emphasize this for anyone that's like looking at launching their own podcast, especially tech and cybersecurity type, where it's hella meaty. Understand. It's okay if you have a hella, hella meaty podcast, because as I always say, there is a lock for every key. Megan, can you agree with me on this statement? Oh, 100%. I mean, we took a really deep dive into how we actually look at the, the governance and building trust with AI. And one of the big things around that is also the security of the data that AI um, is gathering. And so these are really big topics. We're talking about bias mitigation. We're talking about regulations that don't even exist into full form yet. And so having these content pieces that are fuller, that are meatier, um, I think is a really great deep dive for certain podcasts. And it's going to appeal to some folks. And then other people are going to be like, eh, not so much for me. I wanted something more surface level, but it's nice because then no matter where you are, in your experience as an expert in your learning journey, you're going to be able to find a podcast that will suit your tastes. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you said that because, you know, I, I, we produce the CISO Diaries with our good friend Leah and our emphasis within the cybersecurity realm is more along the lines of the stories of behind the leadership of the CISOs. Right. And you look at other podcasts, business branded podcasts, where they tend to go technical on their product, for example, on what they do and how they solve problems, et cetera. But I find yours so fascinating, Megan, because really it's almost like you're, you're talking about the subject matter of, you know, the, the regulations, the security compliance concerns around artificial intelligence and the future it may present us or not present us, if you will. Right. And, can I ask you, where did you come up with this angle in particular? 
Yes, we really wanted to bring a a voice to the different work that um, an organization that I'm an independent contributor for does. So for Humanities, a 501c3, and then we didn't have a podcast at the start of this year, actually. So it's very new. And so there was discussion around, you know, we really need to have some sort of um, outlet for sharing the work that we're doing, but also the upcoming future impacts of artificial intelligence and then trying to balance regulation with innovation, because there is a really tough balance to be struck with that, with keeping people safe, keeping data secure, but then also not curbing all the innovation that could exist too. And so we wanted to have a place where that conversation could take place um, with experts, with people who are doing this work. Um, and, And so we decided, you know, A podcast is a really great avenue for that. Um, This doesn't seem to exist already. So some of the things we were thinking through, you know, you don't want to put something out there that has already been done that already exists because that's going to be redundant. We're like, well, we don't really see this exact thing out there. Um, And and so it seems like there is then a space for this to exist. And um, so we just came together as a small team. um, And so we're international. um, We're all over the world, our hosts. And uh, it's been really lovely just to get to build it from the complete ground up, even from we didn't have a name when we started. So we started yeah. our meetings and, and weren't even sure, like, like how would we want to call this? How is it going to work? And then we've already done our first short form series on the draft EU AI regulations. And then we started our second series, which is more long form on bias mitigation. Oh my gosh, girl. I, I don't even know what language you're speaking to me, but I, I hear it's pretty cool stuff. No, I'm joking. But I mean, the fact that it's an international based team, there is something I love about that. It is the different perspectives, the different, um, you know, cultural background where their viewpoint may not necessarily be the exact same definition that we as Americans uh, identify. Uh, and, and can I ask you this? did that just kind of come together or do you guys ever like butt heads? You know, these are kind of meaty topics and, you know, we have under the American centric perspective. I'm sure I'm not implying you are, you know, raw, raw American, but have you guys butt heads uh, occasionally? So it it hasn't really interesting. So I kind of consider myself like, you know, you know, I'm in the United States, North American correspondent. Um, and then we have um, someone um, out of Asia and someone out of Oceania. Um, and so very well spread out where we have um, kind of had like a few differences was even just some like wordage and spelling um, because there there's American English and then there's um, more of like a British English spelling. We've been, and I was like, oh, is this the right way to spell this? And we were kind of going over that. Um, and then finding common times to work together. Um, it, that's been really difficult. And then the other place that has just been an ongoing conversation, I wouldn't say like butting of heads, but um, an ongoing conversation is bias mitigation itself because it's used in different ways. And so, you know, you can have statistical bias based on the model that you set up, or you can have bias in the way that it's used more commonly where, you know, it's it has a negative connotation to it and it's something that we want to work against and it may be um, very detrimental. And so the way we use that, we actually have to really define it to make mm. sure that we're not speaking maybe about statistics. We want to speak more generally about bias. Um, and so I think that ends up becoming a really good conversation definitionally because you can use the same word, but mean completely different things. Exactly. And how oftentimes do we don't realize that, right? Like that you're, you're insulting someone and you don't even realize it. Right. And I think, 
Yeah, but having that international field, are you guys finding your audience is international by virtue of your hosts being got their own local quote, you know, friends and family and teams to to rally around? Yeah, we actually have noticed that. So we can we can pull like the um, data about like who is listening and where they're from. Assuming they're not like masking all of that, um, but uh, if they're they're keeping it, you know, not telling through different countries and whatnot. Uh, we can actually see like, okay, we have this segment of people that are from this country who are listening, this segment of people from this country, this segment of people from this continent. And so we are noticing a pretty big international audience, which, which also makes sense for the organization for humanity because it's also very international as well. So it's nice to have that, um, you know, international collaboration for the group and then international audience too. Oh, wow. So are you guys uh, in your format? Are you guys consistently like, al- are you guys alternating hosts? Or are you guys always on the host together? What, what exactly is your formats for those that haven't heard about your show just yet? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we've been alternating hosts. So I've done about a third of the podcast. Um, and then it's, it's a pretty even split between the three of us. I think one person's done a little bit more just because of time availability. Um, it, but it's, it's pretty evenly well split. And then when we release them, we try to not have the same host back to back so that you're always hearing from a different voice um, if you're listening to them sequentially. Um, so I think we nearly perfectly did that. I think we had one that was back to back for one person. Uh, and then for the long form, um, I was actually out of town. Um, I was at uh, Black Hat and DEF CON. So I saw Leah there. Um, and so I was out of town for like a little bit. So someone else um, led that on the team. So I, I didn't do the first episode of the long form on bias mitigation, but I'll, I should be involved in the second one that we're going to have on that. And how much research do you guys really go? I mean, you're okay. First off, you're a stud. I mean, I will brag on you uh, towards the end here because otherwise we'll just, it'll just be a resume. But um, how much research do you actually put into it? Do you guys collectively pick the topics together or is it like a suggestion by a, you know, a, a guest? How do you guys come about with your, your content and how much research do you guys do before you actually hit record? Yeah. So also, also like really kind of a fun, like behind the scenes question. So, uh, basically, one of the things I've done is I've read the whole draft EUAI regulations to make sure that I had like a complete understanding of it. Um, so you're reading through this law that will parts of it will will become an actual law later on down the line, very likely, um, but it's in draft mode. Uh, you're kind of researching what are some of the current compliances. And then like we're interviewing and interacting with people who are AI ethicists or AI researchers. And so you're researching who that person is, maybe reading some of their white papers that they've written to have a deep understanding of what their work is. So there, there's a, actually quite a bit of research that goes into pre-podcast um, uh, recording. Uh, and then once you're on the show, you know, you're you're bringing those conversations into play. And what we decided was for our first series, it made sense to do it on the draft EUA regulations because the European Union had these draft laws that had just come out. And so they were very fresh. There wasn't really any podcast doing a whole series on them. And so we took like different angles on it and we came up with a series of questions, about 12 questions and then we would pull from about six of them, depending on who we were interviewing from. So then you got to hear somewhat similar questions being answered by different people coming from different angles, from different countries, different perspectives. Um, and so that's what we did for the first series. 
Uh, and then for the second series, there was a white paper that was written about bias mitigation. And so we had all of the authors of the paper on, and then we're gonna have a few more angles taking on that um, same topic. Because we really wanna have an idea towards um, DEI, you know, the diversity inclusion. Um, and so we want to make sure that uh, we have a panel that's diverse as well too, um, a moderator that's diverse. And so that's something that we were kind of thinking about um, it, is we are going to have a few different angles that we look at with bias mitigation as well. Wow. Okay. So do you get lawyer help on this or to get you through the legal speak or do you have a legal person on your team? No, I, it's the, the regulations were actually, they were wordy, but they weren't like overly legalese, I guess they were, they were more just like the processes that would happen in place. You know, there would be things like, and if this occurs, there will be a 6%, um, you know, penalty to the organization or 30 billion euro. And, and so it, it's understandable the wordage, um, I felt. Uh, so we didn't have anyone legal on the team that was, you know, deciphering for us. But I think that if we did need to, um, you know, we could we could lean on people in the community, friends um, that have that legal expertise. But so far, it has not been necessary. Oh, my gosh. Can I just tell you, like, even just I can tell you right now, me being the lazy person that I am, I have zero interest in reading through the whole EU doc. But folks like you that can, like, distill it down in a way that is more palatable where there's highlights that's relevant and interesting. I have to say you're doing, you know, for lack of a better term, I've heard my friends say this recently, you're doing God's work for us. <laughs> that is understandable to all the people. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Okay. So you mentioned DEI, um, you know, with so much discussion around diversity and inclusion and us as women, um, and you particularly in security, are you guys having any problems? Is it a problem international with, you know, diversity and inclusion? Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't experienced anything within this organization, like any issues. Everyone has been very proactive and wanting to make sure that, um, you know, different voices are included, different perspectives are included. Um, so that's been really nice to see. I mean, but I know just from a numbers perspective, you know, it's, um, about 24% women in cybersecurity. Um, and then like, if you break it down by like women in different races, it's even less. So yeah, um, it is definitely a really big issue um, to just think about like how different people from different backgrounds will bring different perspectives to things. And so then you're going to have a more nuanced and maybe creative response to something because it's not everyone in the room has the same background, has the same experiences um, and so you don't want to have this team of all these yes people who mm -hmm. are all just agreeing because you don't see it from a different angle. You don't see it from a different way. So I, th I think that um, diversity is, is really, really important. Um, and so, yeah, I haven't I haven't noticed any like issues, problems with it um, within where I've been working. But um, I do know that it, it can be in different places. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let me ask you this, and I'm just kind of like, want, I'm squirreling right now, so roll with me. So, I mean, you are an extraordinarily accomplished, knowledgeable cybersecurity professional. Uh, you have been shortlisted, so this is back in July, as a finalist in Women in Cloud. Congratulations. Shortlisted as Cybersecurity Woman of the Year. I mean, you are a risk assessment cybersecurity engineer with Cyber Future Foundation. Shout out CFF. Um, you have lots of certs. 
you've got your bachelor's, you've got a master of educational leadership. I mean, you're well-educated. So you've got experience and you've got education. But can I ask you, with what you're seeing, is that enough? Or is it the opposite where you, you can still be experienced and tenured and you don't necessarily need to have the certs and all that? What's your perspective for those that are in the industry or what you're seeing in the industry? I think it's changing. Uh, so it, it really, um, it depends on the organization, of course. But I think there is more of an understanding that if you have some proof of concept and you can speak to this is the work I've done, this is the experience I have, um, you know, here's proof that I actually did these things, that that is starting to count for more. Um, there's a lot of people out there who are thinking about the gates that exist and trying to break them down um, so that there are fewer barriers of entry. Uh, and so I think that's really, really important work that's being done. Um, so I, I do think that is, is changing some. I also think there are some things where, um, for example, I live on the East Coast. There's a lot of government contracts that mandate, you know, you need to have this certification or you have to have a bachelor's degree. And so they're literally written that way. And it's just, you know, those are the mandates for that contract, those are the mandates for that role, or those are the mandates for getting that certain level, right? So you have certain G levels um, in, in government pay. And so I think that that is a piece to it that more so exists on the East Coast where we have a few, we have more government cybersecurity roles as opposed to the West Coast where you see like, ah, no, you don't need a degree. You don't need certifications. You just need to show me that you can learn. Show me right. that you have that curiosity. Show me that you have that passion. And so it's more hiring for those characteristics as opposed to hiring for, um, you know, what letters do you have after your name? Um, right. And I think it's a good change that's happening because just because you have XYZ credentials, you have whatever degrees, doesn't necessarily mean you have that curiosity, passion, and drive. Um, you know, I, I happen to really love learning. And so for me, I, I enjoy both formal and then self-learning. And so I have found that those formal learning pieces have been beneficial for me. Um, but I also come from a place of privilege where I was able to afford to do those things. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case for, for everyone. And so you might have someone who's just as qualified or more qualified than me, but because of their life circumstances, they didn't have that ability to pay for those things. And so they shouldn't be punished and locked out of an amazing cybersecurity position where they would bring really wonderful parts to the table just because they don't have certain things. Right. Yeah, no, I, I find that very interesting as a former IT recruiter myself back in the day. Yeah. It was interesting because there's a talent shortage for, and when I say talent shortage, because I will get yelled at by Leah, what I'm saying is, is, there's an expectation of that traditional viewpoint of, oh, to be in cybersecurity, you must have these degrees because we need you to be the top-notch, well-educated, well-entrenched, blah, blah, blah. But it seems to be the next generation or the newer I'm seeing is some of these folks are natively, dig you know, digitally native, and they've kind of been doing the cybersecurity. They've been hacking. They've been learning on their own to the point where, yeah, you're right. Maybe either A, they might not have access to go to school, or B, Maybe their brains just don't work that way. Mm -hmm. um, I've let me ask you this because I've been talking to a lot of cybersecurity folks recently, um, which really excites me because I feel like I'm a groupie for you guys right now. But do you find like 
there's a certain personality type or brain that is suited for cybersecurity. In my estimation, what I'm seeing, you have to love puzzles. You have to love to think outside the box. Am I off base here? You agree, disagree? So I think there's like certain characteristics that lend themselves really well to being in cybersecurity. And, and I would agree, you know, really having just this innate curiosity, um, loving to learn. Uh, I mean, I also love puzzles. <laughs> um, so, so enjoying solving those things and, and being able to persevere. But that can look like so many different things. So it's not that it has to look one way or the other. But I, I think those are some broad pieces that if, if you have those, and you can cultivate more of that, um, you will you will be more so successful in the field. Um, there's actually a really interesting, um, you know, he has a TED Talk and some books. Uh, there's a, a researcher and writer. Um, his name is Ken Robinson. He was knighted, so he's Sir Ken Robinson. Um, and he did all this research on, you know, why we aren't having as much creativity and curiosity in schools. And he has this whole thesis that, like, schools can kill curiosity, the way that like you're just put into like, okay, here's the box that you have to fit into and you have to color within the lines and you have to do all these things. And for me growing up, like I, you know, I had maybe a little bit of a rebel streak, um, but I I didn't like to literally color in the lines sometimes when I was like a little kid. And my mom, like I would get like yelled at at school for like, you know, you were supposed to do this drawing and it was supposed to look this way. And I was like, I didn't want to do it that way. And I would go home and I'd tell my mom about it. And she's like, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't color outside the lines. You can do that. You can make it look however you want it to look. It doesn't have to look the way they say. And so I think having that atmosphere at home where both my parents were in STEM, I was encouraged to continue exploring things and like allowed to and allowed and encouraged to test and try things. I think that really was very formative for me. Oh, that, you know, it is so critical to have that level of influence. And you have been very fortunate to have a parent that tells you, no, color outside the lines. That's cool, right? Um, I think mine was kind of the opposite. They're like, color in the lines because you want to fit in. Because again, you know, we were, my parents were first generation, or I'm first generation, if that make, I've always get confused. First generation born, take so if immigrants. You, if your parents were were from another country, yeah. and you're, you're, from here, your first generation. Okay, so I'm first generation. Okay. Like my, my husband is like zero generation because like he was born in France and then became a US citizen. Okay, gotcha. So I'm more Merkin. I'm kidding. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Excuse me. So, um, <laughs> uh, so, oh, see, I squirreled myself again. Um, <laughs> when we first chatted and got to know each other, we, I think we went off and like, what was that movie that we were talking about that was like totally random? And I was like, dude, I found the set next gen, like the next one. Yeah, the super creepy AI that was like, oh. um, it was AI wrote a movie script and then they made it into a movie. And I sent you the original one, but I didn't know they made a sequel to it. And then you're like, I found the sequel. And I was like, oh, it, the sequel's so much creepier. Way like, creepier. It's, it's total black mirrors. Like, like it's so much creepier. It, okay, so this is what makes me wonder. And and again, th- that was the director's choice to make it dark the way they did it. I mean, it was very um, creepy. Yeah, you're right. Creepy. It was just such a. I felt like a, a shadow was casted or out. Like the music was so edgy that there was no good that was going to come out of it. It didn't make any sense, but but the vibe was there, and that tells me it understands 
how to draw emotion or suspense or something, which I wouldn't think uh, AI would know. You know, and that's what kind of bothered me. Or was it maybe, maybe it bothered me because the director chose music to make it harder, scarier than it was. My guess is that the AI probably recommended the music. Oh, son of a sea cook. <laughs> that I, and I haven't done that research, but that's that's my guess. Is probably when because remember when think about when you write like a screenplay, you also say like this type of music, maybe even choose it. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if all of that was done by the AI, actually. Oh my gosh. I'll put that in the notes if anyone wants to see it. It is creepy as all get out, and it really just kind of messed me up. <coughs> Excuse me. And it just uh I, I, I Girl, you st- that thing kept me up, and now I just re-remembered it again now that we're talking, and yeah. But so um, I love, love, love. So what I wanted to do is just do one quick snippet from your show because um, you had a guest here, and this is a fairly recent uh, episode. So if you mind, do you mind if I share this a little bit? Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Okay, yeah. So let me go ahead and take that off. Ooh, and the- oh, I forgot. Hide our banner here and let us share a little bit of this. And this is from um, your episode 11, and you're talking about regulations gaps uh, on, and importance of industry standard um, for ethics and how it mitigates risk. And this is, again, all going back to the EU um, docs. Yes, yeah, so one final question. question. What is one thing that you would bet on today from the EU regulations that you think will bring a significant change to the world? Um, This is maybe a bit of a counterintuitive answer, but I think that what the EU regulations do, sort of the one thing I would bet on, is the fact that it's going to maybe prevent the world from changing too quickly. And I think that that in and of itself is is very important because I really firmly believe that it's much more difficult. It's, it's much easier to build things that don't work at all or that work badly than it is to build things that work quite well. Um, and this this sort of set of regulations kind of keeps people on 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 that track of of being very careful about which direction we take things in. And so I would bet on the fact that if this gains enough momentum and enough pull, that it will rather than changing the world faster for the better, it's going to prevent the world from changing for the worse or moving in directions that could cause potentially even irreparable damage to, to, to millions of people. Okay. Can I just simply tell you that, that, that statement alone really tickled me because we do have this eagerness, I think at times to rush to the next toy, big flashy thing, next new innovative technology, right? Like you saw, you know, all the Boston dynamic, you know, dogs and robots and all that. And dance. Uh, And it it dances now. Um, Even Disney has, um, I don't know if you saw, this is like years ago, they have flying acrobat robots that Disney put together that was a Disney production. I do not think it was Boston Dynamic Mix. It's a slightly different form factor, but you've got robots that know how to that fly, <laughs> like trampoline wise or whatever they're called. You know the the, the whatever that's string yeah, like swing on the the trapeze trapeze artist. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Crazy. I mean, the mind is such an amazing thing that we can put all this type of stuff together. Okay. You know, I'm going to ask you this question because you know, the audience here is a little bit more general and less brainiacical. You like my new words. I like to make up. Um, 
So whenever I talk to AI or about AI and I joke around with people, what really is it? Because in my head, I'm just thinking, okay, you know, should I just go ahead and line up and like, you know, high five, you know, our future Skynet overlords or, or is AI really more about, you know, uh, automation and, 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 and taking all that raw data and anticipating, um, is it more like machine? I don't want to use machine learning and all that, but is it more rudimentary than like, you know, is it more like boring or can we say that AI really is moving towards a little bit that Skynet that I keep joking about that Hollywood depicts? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the big things to differentiate with artificial intelligence is also just robots because you can have robots that are moving um, like your Roomba. Um, you can, I mean, people, a lot of people have robots in their homes um, and so you can have um, different systems that are robotic and you can have different systems that are artificial intelligence. And so, you know, a lot of people also have systems of AI in their home because you probably use Netflix and you mm. probably have like Alexa or Siri or different brands that are taking, reading your voice, looking at your past things you've done and then offering suggestions Right. So a lot of that itself is AI. So the um, like algorithms that exist to then recommend your next thing, um, it, be it in a shopping cart or be it um, on a streaming service, that's those are AI algorithms. Uh, and so they're learning it based off of the things that you did in sorting and grouping. And um, it, so it is it's pretty pervasive already. Um, and so artificial intelligence itself is a series of code that has been written and then it has data sets and then it continues learning based on new data and categorizing. And a lot of the times it's interconnected. Mm -hmm. So you would have one system that then connects with another system with another system. And then that builds even more learning power because of that. So it can be like a little bit like tedious, boring, building all that, if that's not really the thing you're into. Um, or you can kind of think about, well, what are the generalized outcomes? And then it's really fascinating. Now, some higher end uses that's happening for it are it sometimes gets used with um, like medical diagnoses. Um, mm -hmm. So saying, is this cancer? Is this not cancer? Um, looking at shadings and then like that's confirmed by um, physicians. So it is getting used for some work like that. Um, and then it's also getting used for therapy. Uh, so some um, veterans are using it for therapy and other people as well. Um, but people found that the robot being neutral and then with the AI with it, it can be um, really therapeutic because it feels less judging to some people sometimes with PTSD. Oh, that's right. That's right. That I've, I've actually heard about that. So maybe we, we can talk forever and I knew we would do this. So unfortunately, we are running out of time. For those that want to get a hold of you and get to learn more about you and all the amazing things that you do and obviously listen to Adco AI podcast, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I, th I think really the best way to do that is you can you can see my name. It's um, Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N. Last name is Jaco, J-A-C-Q-U-O-T. You can search me on LinkedIn. Um, it will have Carpe Diem with it. I'm also on Twitter with um, Carpe underscore Diem underscore tech. Uh, so both of those ways are really excellent ways to get in touch with me. And the podcast itself is on Anchor. Um, so you can search for at Go AI um, for humanity, um, at Go AI with um, Anchor. And so you can pull it from there and then it can be listened to on 
iTunes and Spotify as well. Um, so any of those platforms work. Now make sure you do at Go AI. There's another artificial intelligence organization that has a very similar name. And so they have a podcast as well and their podcast might come up. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, I will put the links in the notes and make sure everyone goes to the right podcast, the better podcast. Just kidding. <laughs> Nothing against the other organization. No, all. no, no. Hey, all ships rise with the tide. Everyone's got their own uh, ta- uh, taken angle on it. So, Megan, I just want to say thank you extraordinarily much for your time and support. I know we've had a lot, we've been bonding quite a bit to get this done, but um, I really, really appreciate you. And so just a couple words here for this week's podcast. I do want to give a shout out to uh, the Ransomware Battleground. I know it's my own damn podcast, but damn, it's my show. So I'm going to brag on my show. But the reason why I'm doing it is because recently we had some amazing uh, white hat uh, ethical hacker folks on part of the Sakurai Samurai uh, Collective. And I love these guys. They were talking to me about their background with a recent hack vulnerabilities they found over at John Deere. And so I've been calling that podcast unofficially, Oh Dear John Deere, but definitely check a a listen and hear from the inside. Um, I'm personally surprised at the whole world of ethical hacking. And to me, if, if you're in a corporate enterprise and someone came to you and said, Hey, FYI, I found a vulnerability. You would think they'd be nice about it, but apparently some people don't like being told that their baby's ugly or broken. So listen in on that conversation. I would love to hear your feedback. And on that note, I do want to give a shout out to another podcast, lock and code who had um, sick code on who was working in conjunction with the guys over at Sakurai Samurai. And uh, again, same hack, but a different individual. And I thought I would share Lock and Code's perspective in that podcast. I know nothing about them. I just happened to see that Sit Code was on and I want to give a shout out and support where I can. So on that note, everyone, this has just been a wonderful time on the Mike is Listening show. and would love to see you guys come back. See you next week. Hey.